Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. For an incredible time of worship, Father, we thank you for an incredible time of praise. We consider you, consider the blessings of life, Father. I pray that as we spend the next little while in the Word, Lord, that you would just speak to us very clearly. I pray, Father, you take all the distractions that, that are in our lives, that may surround us, things that we have to get back to at work, situations in our family, all the things that we're dealing with, Lord. Set those things aside and help us to focus with intensity on you right now and on your word. And I pray, Father, you would use the time we have together in the text of Scripture to strengthen us, Lord, to transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious and powerful name that we pray. This is a big jar of dirt. I went out in my backyard and I got a shovel and I dug it and I put it in this glass container. And dirt is something that's pretty common in our area if you haven't noticed. Right? It's all over the place and you can go in your backyard and get it. You can go outside right now and get it. If you wanted to get a shovel, you could fill up a container just like this full of dirt if you wanted to. But here's the interesting thing about dirt. As prevalent as it is, we don't like it on our bodies, do we? In fact, we, we don't like to get our hands down in the dirt, right? Get our hands all messy and, and dirty and get it all over. We, we do everything we can to keep dirt off of our hands, right? We don't like it on our hands. We do everything we, we can to keep it off of our bodies. We, we keep everything we do everything we can to, to keep it off of our hair. We, we do everything we can to keep it off of our clothing. And when you got your child or your grandchild dressed this morning, you put the brand new Easter clothes on them, you know it came out of your mouth. Now listen, don't get those pants dirty, right? We do everything we can to keep this stuff out of our lives. We don't want it in our cars. We don't want it in our houses. We certainly don't want it on our carpets. And so we spend great amounts of time and energy and money keeping dirt out of our lives. I did some research this week thinking about dirt. It's, 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 it's an interesting position here in Scripture. We're going to take just a minute. We're going to walk through some passages of Scripture. But, but we don't like dirt. And when we get dirty, we wash dirt off, don't we? So I did some research on soap. <laughs> did you know that a third of the world's soap is used in the United States of America? A third. Did you know that every day... Hotel industry across the United States discards about 2.6 million bars of soap every day. Why do we need all this soap? Because we don't like to get dirty. Now, even if I use the word dirty, it's got a negative connotation, doesn't it? When I say something is dirty, that's not something we want to think about. It's not something we want to dwell on. Dirt is dirty. It's common. It's plain. There's not a lot of interesting things we can say about a jar of dirt. But here's the amazing thing about dirt. For all of its dirtiness, for all of its messiness, for all of its commonness, dirt has got this very interesting capability. See, as as, as dirty as dirt may seem to us, it's got this incredible ability to bring forth life. When I was a kid, we used to do the craft, we would take the little styrofoam cups. You remember those little styrofoam cups? And we would take a seed, some sort of little seed, grass seed or apple seed, or something, and we'd put it in 
Remember that? Your kids may have done that. And then we take that styrofoam cup home and we would water that cup and we put it on the windowsill. You remember that? Some of your kids, you may have some styrofoam cups on your windowsill right now. And I can remember as a kid, I would, I would water that, that little styrofoam cup and then like 10 minutes later, I would come and check. Not yet. <laughs> so I'd come back in an hour and I'd water it. I would water it so much it was like filled with water, you know, where you barely see the dirty water. And I would check it and day after day, I would check it and I would water it and I would check it and I would water it. And then one day, I would come and check that tiny little styrofoam cup. And in the middle of all that yuck, in the middle of all that dirt, in the middle of all that filth and all that mud, there was one single sprout of life. Now, there's a very interesting biblical principle that, that I think we can learn from this. And we're going to walk through some passages of Scripture this morning that will indicate the truth of what I'm about to say. But God has this incredible practice, I want you to watch this, of taking the worst, of taking the cheapest, of taking the dirtiest thing we can imagine, and within that, creating something beautiful. God has this knack of doing that. So we're going to examine some scripture this morning that will indicate exactly what God has done and how God has worked. The first one is in Genesis chapter 2. And if you want to follow along with us through this progression this morning, you can do that. I think we've got it on the screen. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And let me, let me remind you the account of where we are. God has created the heavens and the earth. God has created the sun and the moon and the stars and the, the oceans and, and the rivers. and he, He's created all this incredible beauty. He's created the sunset so we can enjoy it. He's created the mountains so we can enjoy. He's created the, the waterfalls so we can enjoy. There's all this raw, unspoiled beauty. But God looks down upon his creation in Genesis chapter 2. And he says something is missing. And so we pick up the account in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now verse 5. Now. There was no shrub that had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Now I want you to watch what God's going to do in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed a man from the what? Dust of the ground. See that? And the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Isn't it interesting that God takes the most worst, worthless thing we can imagine, the, the dirtiest thing we can imagine, the most common thing that exists, he takes dirt, and from that he creates the pinnacle of his creation. You understand that? We stand at the top of God's created order. You understand that? We're created in the image of of God. And I, I read this story and it's interesting to me because I think, you know, God took the kind of the dirtiest, the worst of the worst to create us. Why didn't he pick something else? I mean, there's all sorts of beautiful things he could have drawn from, right? I mean, God could have created us from sunlight. How cool would that be? God could have created us from some starlight. I read through this passage of scripture and I say, you know, what if God had created us from fire? How cool would that have been, right? So he got fire burning in his hand, he blows into the fire, and he creates us. There'd be something really interesting about that, but God said, you know, I'm not going to use those things. I'm not going to use fire, I'm not going to use sunlight, I'm not going to use starlight. I said, I'm going to create you from the dirt of the ground. 
Now, science and medicine can, can tell us a lot about life. It can explain how our bodies work. It can explain to us all the chemical compounds found within our body, all the substances that, that we have within us. Medicines can be created to help heal our bodies. Scientists can recreate so much of what we have within our bodies. But here's the thing science can do. Science, for all it knows and all it understands and all it can accomplish, science cannot create within us life. You see, only God can do that. Only God can take worthless dirt to create his most impressive creation. From the dust, God creates beautiful things. Now, I read from you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 earlier when I came out. I think we've got that passage of scripture on the screen as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. This is kind of our theme for this morning. It says this. He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Here's how this translates to our life today. Here's how this translates to our current situation. The writer of Ecclesiastes says to us in chapter 3, verse 11, that God can take your heart. God can take your life. God can take all the, the dirtiness and the messiness of all the things that you've experienced and all the mistakes you've made. God can take all those things and with his power and with his glory, he can create within you something beautiful. Now, that's a compelling idea, isn't it? That God can take all the mistakes that I've made. God can take all the, the junk in my heart, all the junk in my life, all the things that I've done wrong. God can take all those things, and for His honor and for His glory, He can create something within me that's beautiful. Now, let's fast forward several thousand years from the creation. If we were to... Think about biblical history, and we're going to move into John chapter 9. So if you're flipping with us, flip over now to John chapter 9. The context here now is Jesus has been born. He's come into the earth. He's walked the earth with his disciples. He's creating uh, miracles and miraculous things. He's feeding people that are hungry. He's working in the lives of all these people, preaching about salvation, preaching about repentance. We find John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says this. He, as he is Jesus, Went along, he saw a blind man from birth. And so his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Who did he do wrong? Did he make a mistake? Did his parents make a mistake? Who's to blame for his blindness? Look what Jesus says in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, blindness is a very difficult thing. And in the first century, it, it, it took on even a more difficult understanding, a more difficult meaning, because in the first century, people that were blind literally had to beg for their food. They had to find a street corner where there were a lot of people. They had to find a public place, maybe a town square. And they would literally sit and they would beg for their food. And so when Jesus and his disciples come across this man, the disciples see his condition as a very bad thing. And they say, Christ, why, why is this happening? Why is this difficult thing happened to this man? Did he do something wrong? Did his parents do something wrong? Did somebody sin to make him blind? And Jesus gives this incredible answer in verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened, watch this, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see what Christ is saying? Christ is saying, listen, he's not blind because he sinned. He's blind because God wants to use this terrible situation. 
God wants to use this blindness for His glory and for His honor and for His power. Here's what we see. Christ is going to take this terrible situation and within it, He's going to create something beautiful. Now here's what we do. We take the struggles of our life and we see them as negatives oftentimes. And so we see things like sickness or we see things like the loss of a job or we see things like difficulties within our family or we see things like death of a loved one. It's very, very difficult things to understand and they are difficult and they're hard to work through. But when we see this passage of scripture in John chapter 9, Christ gives us kind of a different perspective, maybe something else to think about here. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, maybe God has done this stuff or allowed this thing to happen in my life so, so that I can be strengthened. Maybe God has allowed me to walk through this trial to teach me how to be more Christ-like. Maybe God has allowed me to walk through this difficult situation in order to mold me and to shape me into His image. Because here's the truth of what the gospel preaches. Christ wants to use you in mighty and powerful ways. Christ wants to take the, the bad, ugly, yuckiness of your life, and within that, because of His power, because of His honor, because of His glory, He wants to create within you something beautiful. So I want you to see now what happens in verse 4 of John chapter 9. So this is Christ speaking, as long as it is day, we must do the works of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he, watch what he does now. He spit on the ground. He made some mud with saliva and he put it in the man's eyes. And I watch what Jesus does here. Jesus is going to take the dirt, which is bad enough. But if there's something in our mind that's worse than dirt, it's spit, right? <laughs> if there's one thing we'd like to get on us less than dirt, it's spit. If I said to you, pick dirt or spit, you know, I guess I'll take dirt. I really don't like either one of them, right? But Jesus said, I'm going to take both of these things. I'm going to take the dirt and I'm going to take the spit and I'm going to mix these things together. Now just imagine, just for a second, I, I understand it's Jesus. I get that. And I understand he's about to do a miracle. I get that. But just imagine how gross that must have been. Mud made of dirt in your spit, right? That's pretty nasty. But then watch what Jesus does, right? He, he mixes these things up, and then he takes this mud, this mix, and he rubs it on this guy's eyes. This nasty, spit, mud, dirt mixture, he rubs it in this guy's eyes. Now look at what he says in verse 7. Go, he says, John chapter 9, verse 7. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sin. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. You understand that? Here's what Christ does. Christ takes this incredibly bad situation, blindness. He takes the dirt from the ground and he takes his own spit. He takes all three of these, what we would consider bad things in different levels. They're bad things to deal with. They're things we don't want to think about. They're certainly things we don't want to rub on our body. He takes all three of these things and he combines them. Why? For his honor and for his glory. Because he wants to make from you all things beautiful. You understand that? Some of you are already thinking, nah, if you knew what I'd done. <laughs> if you knew where I'd been, Adam, you wouldn't think God can make anything beautiful of my life. If you knew the thoughts that I had last night, you wouldn't think God can make anything beautiful of my life. If you knew how I'd acted at work, you wouldn't think God can do anything beautiful in my life. If you knew how I treated my spouse, if you knew the fight I got into, if you knew where my marriage was, if you knew how I conducted myself, if you knew the, the thoughts that I had, Adam, you would never think that God could make anything beautiful. 
beautiful out of my life. But here's the biblical truth. God wants to use so much more than just dirt to make something beautiful. See, the Bible teaches us that God can take our sinfulness and our mistakes and all the things that we struggle with. And he can wrap those things up with his honor and with his glory and create in us something amazing. Let's raise the stakes just a little bit, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing for Christ to heal a man's blindness. That's a big deal. It's one thing for Christ to make someone who's sick well. That's a big deal. It's one thing for Christ to feed all these thousands of people. Those are all incredible things. But let's up the stakes a little bit. Let's see just how much glory Christ wants to bring to himself. Flip over a couple more chapters to John chapter 11. The story of Lazarus. Some of you are familiar with the story. John chapter 11, Lazarus is a friend of Jesus Christ. He's the brother of Martha and Mary who are friends of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that, he, that Jesus loved this family greatly and had spent time with this family. So here's how the story plays out. Lazarus gets sick. And when he gets sick, Martha and Mary, his sisters, call Jesus and they say to Jesus, Listen, Lazarus is sick. We're afraid he's so sick that he's going to die. We need you to come and help him. I want you to see what Jesus does in John chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, watch this, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through. You see that? Now here's what we think. Here's our conventional wisdom. Jesus should have left what he was doing at that very moment. He should have shown up on the spot where Lazarus was. He should have done whatever, prayed over Lazarus, whatever he wanted to do to heal Lazarus at that very moment. But Christ says, no, that's not what this is about. It's not about me healing Lazarus. It's not about me working at your timetable. It's about me ultimately bringing glory to myself. And so Christ does the unthinkable in verse 6. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now see, what, what you don't know is we were continue to read through John chapter 11 is that Lazarus is eventually going to die. I think sometimes we, we look at Christ and we, we look at the things of God and we say to God, we need you to show up right now, God, and fix what's going on in my life. You can't wait two more days, Lord. You can't wait two more hours. You need to fix this. And so what we do is we get up early in the morning, right? And we give God our to-do list. God, here's what I need you to work on. God, I'm going to give you the rest of today. I'm even going to give you tonight, Lord, and then I'll be back. Same place, same time tomorrow morning. I'm going to check on the progress, right? Hopefully by that point, Lord, you've got all this fixed, because I really can't deal with it. It's too difficult for me to deal with it. I need you to fix it. I need you to work on my timetable. But here's what the Lord says to us so often. It's not about you. It's not about what you need. It's not about your timetable and your timing. It's about bringing honor and glory to myself. And so, so Christ can demonstrate the power of the Lord. He waits two days. He allows Lazarus to die. And then he shows up at the tomb in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus says in verse 39, take away the stone. But Lord, now listen to what Martha says. The sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor for he has been in there four days. She said, Jesus, you know, we, we appreciate you coming now, but you're too late. You could have fixed it, Lord. You could have done something about it. You could have come and healed him. And if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't 
have died. And then Jesus says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet, wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, Jesus takes the, the worst possible situation, the death of a very close friend, the death of a member of the family that Jesus greatly loved. Jesus takes this situation, this death, and he uses it through his power to bring honor and glory to himself. Now, here's the truth as we apply this to our lives today. God wants to take your life, and through his power and through his glory, he wants to create something beautiful. The Bible teaches us very clearly that even though we live in a sinful world, even though Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned, Christ says because of all I've accomplished for you, even in the openness of your sin, I can create in you something beautiful. And so we come here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection stands as the, the central point in human history. When God in all of His glory and all of His holiness stepped down out of heaven, took on the form of a man, walked willingly to Calvary, turned His face towards Calvary, gave His life on the cross, died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And we celebrate that this morning because no other event in history has impacted the world like the resurrection. Of all the events throughout history, none has impacted us like Jesus raising from the grave. But Romans 6.4 gives us a very interesting perspective. I want you to listen to what Romans 6.4 says and how it describes the resurrection and how it describes our relationship with Christ through the resurrection. Romans 6.4 says this, we were therefore transformed, excuse me, we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love that phrase there. We may live a new life. Now, I just want to be very honest with you, if I could, just for a second this morning. Some of us need a new life, don't we? Some of us are in a place where either we've allowed sin to take over our hearts, or we've moved away from the things of Christ, or we're living in a way where we know is not the way God would have us live, that doesn't please Him, that it doesn't honor Him. And some of us have come this morning, Easter Sunday morning, maybe because it's just Easter and it's time to go to church. Maybe because a friend invited us. Maybe because we're really struggling and we need some answers. But the Bible tells us very clearly that through Jesus Christ and because of His death, burial, and resurrection, we can experience new life. Now, some of you guys may have seen on our, on our sign as you go into the church building, Rosemont Baptist Church, and underneath that it says, Experience New Life. Now, we get that idea from, from Romans chapter 6, verse 4. The idea that through Christ we can experience new life. But I want you to understand something. As amazing as God has been working in our church for all the things that He's been doing, for all the people that are being saved, for all the people that are being baptized, for all the young families that are reaching, for all the things that He's doing through our mission movement, I want you to understand something very clearly. You're not going to experience new life because of Rosemont Baptist Church. 
You can only experience new life because of Jesus Christ and all he accomplished for you on the cross. One scholar said it like this. The long hours of that sorrowful Sabbath were over at last and the first day of the week was dawning. That day which was to be the first day of a new life, which was to be consecrated throughout the great Christian churches, the beginning of new hopes, new aspirations. The first great Easter day was shedding its faint, glimmering light through the surrounding darkness. See, there's this theme of hope that runs all through the Bible. So we see examples like Psalm 39 says, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, our hope. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by, and guess, hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, over and over we see this idea of hope. Over and over we see this idea that God can take the worst, the dirtiest, and turn it into something beautiful. So, so we understand that in the middle of that financial crisis you may be in, there's hope. In the middle of that job situation you just can't seem to deal with, there's hope. In the middle of that marriage that you think is over, there is hope. In the middle of that business failure, there is hope. In the middle of that sickness, there is hope. In the middle of that death, there is hope. Because Jesus wants to do an amazing work in your heart. Jesus wants to take the dirty, ugly things of life. And he wants to change those things for his honor and for his glory into something beautiful. Now, there, there's, there's a lot of dirt in the world in there. There's dirt in our yards, there's physical dirt, but we, we live in a lot of dirt as well, don't we? We go to work and we deal with dirty stuff. We go home sometimes and we deal with dirty stuff. We make decisions in our heart and our mind and then we, we're surrounded sometimes with dirty stuff. But Jesus says very clearly, over and over and over and over in His Word, that because of who He is, because of what He's accomplished... He can take all of the dirt of your life and all of the sin of your life and wash it away. Because of Christ and His resurrection, there is hope. Because of Christ and His resurrection, we can see God's glory. Because of Christ and His resurrection, we can experience new life. Now Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it like this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now I want to be very clear as we kind of, as we kind of wind down this morning. I want to lead you to a point of decision. Because I know there, there are probably two categories of people in this room right now. There are people that have accepted Jesus Christ. And maybe you recognize that you're not living your life like you should. Maybe you recognize that you need to make some changes. You need to do things differently in your heart. But there's another group of people over here that have come this morning that realize they've never accepted Jesus as their Lord Savior. They've never had the dirt of their life and the sin of their life washed away. They've never prayed to receive Christ. So we're going to give you the opportunity this morning. I'm going to step down in just a second. We're going to begin to sing and I'm going to be standing off to the side. We're going to give you the chance this morning to do whatever God is leading you to do. But I want to caution you before I finish. You're never guaranteed another moment. You may think in your mind, well, I'll come back next week or I'll come back next month or next Easter. Maybe I'll make that decision. 
Don't play games with God. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a desire to work in you. He's got a desire to, to take the, the dirt and the filth of your life and to wash it away. And I want you to hear me very clearly. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the roads that you've traveled. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through all that he accomplished, he makes all things beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, Father, for an opportunity to study your word, for an opportunity to hear your truth, Lord, to know more about who you are. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts very clearly this morning. You speak very clearly to our minds to understand more about who you are, Father. And I pray you would just impress upon us the truth. Father, that even in the dirtiness of our lives, even the sins and the mistakes that we make, Lord, you can be honored and glorified. And you can take even the worst and create in it something beautiful. So we pray you'd speak to us in a very clear and a very powerful way right now. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for a couple of minutes. This will act as our altar this morning. You can come and pray. Maybe you need to make some decisions about who you are or where you are in Christ. Maybe you need to repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to join this church. But this is your time right now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.